It would be good to keep your Bible open. Uh, This week uh, we are beginning a new series uh, titled, What Are We About as God's Church? And it's an important question because clarity about how we use our collective gifts and resources means we're going to be more effective for the sake of the gospel. And without clarity, then we risk becoming a bit like Israel in the time of the judges, where everyone did what they felt was right in their own eyes. Uh, For those who are more visually minded, uh, we want to be more like this and less like that. (laughs) And so having a common purpose, a common direction and being clear about who we are is going to be fundamental to how we serve faithfully this year. And so at Shell Harbour City Anglican, we have four purpose statements. Loving Jesus, growing together, speaking the good news, and supporting others. Now, each of those statements are really our language, but we derive them from our understanding of the Scriptures, because it's not really about us and what we want. It's about listening to God. What's God's purpose for his creation and what's God's purpose for his people? And we know what God's purpose is because he speaks through his word. And so we might have particular language at our church, but actually these four statements should be true for any church. And what is different perhaps is how we might then do those different things. So in our particular context, with our particular gifts and resources, how does God want us to serve him faithfully in this place? So that's really the question for us. But if we don't get our foundations right, then those questions of what we do become somewhat irrelevant or distorted, don't they? So we need to be clear who we are and therefore where we are going. And for those who like grammar, uh, each of these statements includes an adverb because these aren't just simply a goal to reach or a a box to tick. Uh, These should characterise our life together for our entire earthly existence. So our goal isn't simply to love Jesus, but to keep on loving Jesus, uh, to keep on growing, to keep on speaking, to keep on supporting others. And if we have our head and our heart in the right place, then we'll see our purpose as a joy and a pleasure as we seek to serve in God's plans. That we are being the people God created us to be. We're living out the calling we have received. Uh, We know it's not necessarily going to be easy, but we do know it will be good. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? That if our head and our heart aren't in it, if we see God's word as a burden and as a list of obligations and responsibilities, then unsurprisingly, as we we reflect about what God wants for us, uh, it's going to feel more like compliance and burdensome than anything else. And it just wearies our soul. It's just more to do. That's not who we have been called to be as God's people. And so it starts with loving Jesus. 
Uh, we get that right, then everything else that we do makes sense. And I've chosen 1 Peter because it's just one of those passages that just exudes this wonderful joy. And it grounds our love for Jesus in God's love for us. Uh, so let me pray and then we'll have a look at this passage together. Uh, dear Lord, we do thank you that you speak through your word, uh, that you don't leave us blind about who you are or what you want for us. And so, Lord, I pray as we uh, reflect on your word this morning in 1 Peter, uh, that you speak to us through your spirit, uh, that we might know you more, that we might love you more, and that we might serve you more faithfully. Amen. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. You know, in God's great mercy, he's chosen to save us from the consequences of sin. So in our age of entitlement where we feel every good thing is our right, where I have a right to be happy, I have a right to be healthy. God says, actually, no, we need to be accountable for our actions. But God is also merciful. And so God chooses in his mercy to not only be holy, but also to be just. So he doesn't just ignore sin, he chooses to do something about our sin. He chooses to save us from the consequences of our sin. And he makes it possible through the death and the resurrection of his son. So he chooses to give us new birth and a living hope. And so it's not just an opportunity to reset our you know, sin count to zero. You can imagine how long that would last for us. You know, he chooses to give us a completely new life. You know, it's like, you know, if we were in a war and we were fighting for the other side, God gives us the opportunity to change teams, to go from being his enemy to fighting with him, to standing with him. And instead of standing in judgment, we stand in a position of mercy. You know, despite all our sin, despite the fact that we often show contempt for God, God would choose to allow us to stand with him and he would choose to guarantee us a future outcome. And it's a living hope, not because it's not wishful thinking. It's not simply, I hope things will work out in the end. It's a guaranteed inheritance. You know, unlike our earthly inheritance... Uh, where we're often very hopeful, uh, but we know in reality it doesn't always pan out the way we expect, God guarantees our future with him. Our inheritance is indestructible, incorruptible and unfading. So in verse 6, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, whom through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in these last times. I think inevitably when you read a passage like this, uh, particularly if you've been a Christian for a while, we feel there's a conflict with what this passage is saying about the certainty of our inheritance and our experience. Uh, Because we all know people 
who at one time or another professed to follow Jesus, and yet they have not persevered. And it's not just like the people, you know, who sort of had a vague notion of God. Uh, You know, we're thinking about people who genuinely and earnestly, you know, listened to God's word, who sought to live it out in their lives. You know, these are people who we have prayed with, who we've been on mission trips with. They might have even been people who rightly and graciously rebuked us for our sin. And from our limited perspective, you know, we felt that their faith was solid. But of course, God knows us better than even we know ourselves. God doesn't just see the outside, he sees the heart. And whatever was going on there, it's not that they're lying, they're not trying to deceive anyone. It's earnest, but something fundamental is missing. The Holy Spirit is missing. And I suspect often when you talk to those people later, you ask them to reflect on what was going on for them in their life at that time. I think even for some of those people, they would acknowledge that everything wasn't quite as good as it seemed. But their experience can also leave us very vulnerable about our experience, can't it? Because if they can fall away, if someone so earnest can fall away, well, what about us? How can I be confident about my own salvation? And so I think there's a couple couple of things that might be helpful. Firstly, our assurance is not grounded in our feelings, but in what God has done. Uh, So some people are gifted with just a strong, unwavering faith. And that is a wonderful blessing. You are confident of God's goodness. You feel God's presence acutely. And that is a blessing. Uh, For others, actually, you don't feel that close to God. It doesn't mean God is any less present. The strength of our faith isn't dependent on how close I feel to God, but God's strength to hold on to me. And God saves and God holds. Secondly, if we continue to profess Jesus is Lord, if we submit to his will and we will and desire obedience, then we can rightly say that we love Jesus and the Spirit is at work in our lives. We won't be perfect, but we will be works in progress. And so every day we can have confidence about where we stand with God. Do you love Jesus? Do you desire to see him glorified? And number three, there are times when we will become out of step with the Spirit, when we will stumble and sometimes really badly and for most of us there will be times of doubt when we really struggle is God actually there at all does God even exist and if God does exist does he really love me or care for me but a genuine faith will persevere through the struggle and a genuine faith will come out the other side and it will reach a point where you can say amen to David's words when he says, after all the events of his sin with Bathsheba, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And we know that God will honour those words because he is faithful to his promises and he's given us an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. But of course, we also know that God's love doesn't mean we're exempt from all the trials and the tribulations of life. Life is still complicated. Life is still hard. In verse 6, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter doesn't go on to then explain what it looks like to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so I've got to read the rest of the letter to kind of glean what he means by those words. And what we discover, of course, is that the early Christians suffer many of the same things that we suffer with. And their trials are not dissimilar to our trials. So as three examples, uh, Peter says in, in chapter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And again, a bit later in chapter 3, Who is going to harm you if you, do, you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And again in, verse, in chapter 4, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So trials can be an internal struggle as we deal with our our sinful feelings of, of envy and anger and jealousy and lust. And because they come from within, they can feel inescapable, can't they? Because they're they're woven into our character. And I think that makes them even more painful. Uh, And, of course, trials come from external circumstances, sometimes self-inflicted because of our choice and our actions. Sometimes they're thrust upon us and there's nothing we can do to avoid them. Uh, Sometimes it can come as a result of an accident or sickness. It might come in the form of losing your job or the breakdown of a friendship or a relationship. Or, as in the example of our last verse, it might come as a result of persecution where you are ridiculed and belittled for your faith. But whatever the source of these trials, how we respond will testify to the genuineness of our faith. Because inevitably, in every trial, there will come a point where we have to decide who do we trust. Do I trust God when he says, turn the other cheek? Or do I demand my rights and vindication? Do I trust God when he tells me to be faithful to my marriage? Or do I trust the dominant cultural view that says I need to be true to myself and if if I desire someone else, then it would be immoral to deny those desires? Do I trust God and be a person of integrity in my work when I've got a boss who wants me to fudge the numbers or cut corners? Do I trust God when I become critically or chronically ill? Well, it's not just for a brief season of life, but it is life, that this is our new reality. Do I trust God then, even then, that God loves me and that he is acting for my good? And when we fail... Do we trust that God's grace is sufficient even for me? 
And that's not an invitation to be complacent about our sin, but to trust in God's sovereignty and his mercy. And as we do persevere, as we seek to honour God in our lives and with our choices, it testifies to the genuineness of our faith, which is even more precious than gold. You know, we seek all sorts of worldly things. We think there's the answer to life. It's always about having more. But even in this world, all those good worldly things pass away. But what God offers is eternal. So it testifies to our living hope and our imperishable inheritance, not just to the world around us, but to ourselves. We can see that God is working and God is changing us. And the final result is we'll stand before God and receive praise and glory and honour. You know, to be honest, I'm just thankful to be saved in the first place. You know, you can give me a back door and let me into heaven and I'd be more, you know, than grateful. You know, I don't deserve anything. And let alone the idea that I would come into God's presence receiving praise and glory and honour. It's almost inconceivable, isn't it? You know, it's the perfected picture of what we saw with that lost son. You know, he comes back to the father and the father forsakes all of his dignity and comes running out to him. He says, you know, put a ring on his finger and, and a robe on his shoulders and sandals on his feet and let's celebrate. You know, it's not just a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of restoration and exaltation. Uh, that is the hope that we have because of the goodness of our God. And so verse 8 and 9 are such a fantastic response to God's goodness. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, to be honest, when I talk to people about being a Christian, I find the language of I love God kind of awkward. I'm happy to talk about God's love for me. I'm happy to talk about faith or believing But the language of love just seems so personal and so, you know, relational and, and I suppose, sentimental uh, that it just seems out of place, doesn't it? You know, think about it. The, The God who created everything, you know, who is so large and me who is so small, you know, that type of language just seems out of place. Yeah, at best it seems arrogant and perhaps at worst it sounds a little bit needy, uh, that I'm a bit desperate to have some significance in my life. And it would be arrogant if we think that God's love for us is about how wise we are or intelligent we are or our goodness, that we are somehow more special than someone else, that we deserved it and they don't deserve it. That, that would be arrogant because we know as Christians it's clearly not because we are the wisest or because we are the smartest or because we are the goodest. You are a Christian because God is gracious and because God has put his love for him in you. Uh, During the week, I was reminded of these verses uh, from Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of of flesh. It's God who has acted. 
And it might sound needy to others, but there's nothing needy about reaching out for help when you know that you actually need help. Our faith is grounded in the experiences of history. It's grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. But your experience, my experience of God's mercy to us is just as real. Uh, For some, it was quite a spectacular experience. Uh, For others, in worldly terms, uh, it didn't stand out as anything particularly interesting. But we know what God has done. We know what it's like to have eyes opened where we see God's goodness to us. And so even though we can't see him, we love him. And it overflows into an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a great expression, isn't it? Inexpressible and glorious joy. It's more than just the emotion of the moment. And it's big enough to endure the trials of life and suffering and temptation and persecution. And through it all, still not lose sight of God's goodness and mercy. Because all of it leads to one inevitable outcome. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For some here today, as you see this picture of who God is and what he has done for us, uh, you know that this is not your experience. This is not your joy. This is not your hope. But can I encourage you to see it as an invitation to you? The invitation is always there. God loves us. God places an offer before us. And in the words of Paul from Romans, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. For others of us here this morning, you do love Jesus. Uh, you do seek to honour him in your life. Well, here's my take-home challenge for us today. When you get home, I want you to write a list. Okay, so a little T-bar list. On one side, write help. On the other side, write hinder. On the help side, what are all the things that you could do this year? It's a little personal brainstorming session. All the things you could do to help you grow in your love for Christ. And now on the other side, the hinder side, what are all the things in your life presently? It's probably not a list to be shared, um, but you know, uh, you trust your spouse and significant other. Uh, but on the hinder side, what are the things, honestly, no one watching, uh, that hinder you? Uh, it might be uh, some of those feelings we, we talked about earlier uh, that are holding you back. It might be a relationship thing. It might be getting entangled in the desires of this world. Whatever it is, write it down. And then at the end of it, look at it and go, what can I do this year to do things differently? How, how do I hold on to the good things, those things that help, and how do I throw off those things that hinder? And whatever the answer to those questions I hope it starts with praying that God might help you in it. Because we try to do it in our own strength. We know it hasn't worked in the past. It won't work in the future. But let's pray that in God's mercy, with God's help through his spirit, with his guidance through his word, 
that this year might be an even better one than last year and that we might love God just that little bit more or maybe a whole lot more. But let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you love us, uh, that you created us, that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sin so that we might have uh, life now and eternal life in the future and a certain and sure living hope. Uh, Lord, I I pray that you will help us to grow in our love for you. Uh, For those who who do not follow you, I pray that you will convict them uh, of your love for them. Uh, For those of us who do, I pray you will help us to throw off those things that entangle us, uh, throw off those sins that hold us back, uh, and help us to seek you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. So, Lord, be with us uh, this week. Uh, Be with us in the year ahead. Amen.